0: maccast sunday april twenty third twenty twenty three Hey, MacGeeks, it's time for your MacCast, the show for Mac geeks by MacGeeks. I'm Adam, and this is the show where we discuss all things Macintosh. How you doing? Welcome back to the MacCast. Glad to be back here with you for another week of Apple hints, tips, tricks, news, and all the goings-ons in the Apple and Mac community. How are you doing? Hopefully you are having a wonderful day. Things are uh, quite nice around here. Although I do have to admit we are in that time of year where it feels like we're in this waiting pattern, we're kind of in a holding pattern till Apple does some stuff, right? It's that kind of lull of from the beginning of the year. We've got a couple of an announcements usually and then kind of sit around waiting for summer to get here, really June in Worldwide Developer Conference. So we're going to get into that today. We're going to talk about what we expect from worldwide developer conference and the expectations are growing. It's probably the biggest thing that we have to talk about this week. We'll talk a little bit about what's possibly next for Apple. We've got some changes in iPhone rumors, um some updates to HomePod and uh a new way that Apple is helping you actually save money. Yeah. Well, at least you're here Apple if you're an Apple card holder and we'll get into that. That'll round out the news. For this week, then we're gonna get back into some of your feedback. We have some continuation on our discussions around M Series Max and external displays. We're gonna talk about uh missing Apple technology or things that Apple kinda of announces and then kind of lets go. We've got an example of one of those and a question from a listener about that. We're gonna talk about batteries and battery maintenance and uh, get into um, some audio questions with AirPods Pro. And that will kind of round out this episode of the MacCast. So should be a good one. Let's jump right in with some discussion around Worldwide Developer Conference. There is a lot of info coming out now, as you might imagine, as we steadily move closer to uh, WWDC in June. And we've got Bloomberg's Mark Gurman coming out with a lot of information, uh, specifically around Apple's mixed reality AR VR headset. He claims that that and its operating system, virtual OS or XROS. Um, I don't know if that's 10ROS. I guess it's extreme reality OS, XROS. I'm not sure exactly what that stands for, but we'll find out, I'm sure, at Worldwide Developer Conference. But he says, yeah, that's going to be the big the star of the show. It's really what Apple is going to kind of show off and try to impress us with uh, and that really apps and sort of functionality is going to be the key out of the gate to the potential success or failure of the virtual reality headset and i tend to agree with that it's really going to come down to use cases especially considering the fact that we keep hearing the thing this thing's going to have a massive price tag in its first version, $3,000 or more for this thing, which is just very, very expensive. So they're really going to have to impress with the hardware. They're really going to have to impress with even more so, I think, the functionality. And German claims that Apple's kind of focusing on some key areas. Those are going to be sports, gaming, wellness and health and uh, collaboration apps and all these things. They're going to create these experiences that will hopefully entice us as buyers to want this thing. In addition, we're hearing that existing iPad apps are going to be able to be tweaked to work with the virtual interface, with the 3D interface, I would assume some sort of virtual iPad, so you'll have some of that existing app functionality I don't know if that's an experience we're all going to want just to kind of have a virtual iPad instead of a real iPad, but I guess that could be a thing, right? Maybe you don't need an iPad anymore. Uh, I don't know. If you want to wear a headset around all day, of course, swap out batteries. We'll talk about that here in a second. But uh, yeah, there's going to be a few different apps on there. There was also mentioned that there might be uh, multiple, that there would be multiple app support. So you're going to have kind of this virtual space in front of you, you can have multiple apps running and switch between them and stuff like that. And that there might also be kind of, um, they're calling it a geolocation feature, but it would really be kind of hyper local geolocation. Cause it's, the idea behind this, I guess is you could set up apps that launch when you're in different rooms of your house. So as you're walking around, if you're in the living room, maybe you have more of your entertainment focused apps. You walk into the kitchen and you get maybe cooking apps. You go into, Uh, uh, An area where you might have some exercise equipment, maybe that brings in your health app stuff, go into the bedroom, you're going to have apps that can uh, pop up there as well. So, you know, though, that's an interesting concept and something I hadn't really thought about before. But Be interesting to see if that's something that actually does get implemented. But in terms of the actual sort of kind of core apps and core focus, we're hearing about, of course, uh, video content and kind of a virtual theater app, something very specifically centered around sports and probably like a multi-screen viewing mode for watching sports content on Apple TV. Apple TV Plus, we know that they have their relationships with MLS Soccer and, and MLB, so expect to see probably demos around those. Um, we did this past week also get a some betas, some new updates to the betas for iOS 16 and tvOS 16.5. And in there, there is now a quad split screen video mode. So you can have up to four different screens for uh, sports content on, uh, on tvOS. So definitely Apple moving in that direction, focusing more on sports. As far as the collaboration stuff, we're hearing about kind of a dedicated FaceTime experience and experiences with freeform so i think they're going to really try to push some of the business remote working experiences and functionality uh that you might be able to leverage with a vr headset so that's going to be something we'll uh, we'll expect to see and uh, then there was also rumors that apple is working with some existing game developers to adapt games or bring games to the platform as well and That is often when we see a new platform like iPad or or, uh, iPhone, right, Uh, attacked Apple takes. They try to find developers to work with and have really cool demos during the event and the keynote. So we expect to see all of that stuff. Um, And it sounds like, at least according to some leaks from Twitter, uh, Evan Blass, a Twitter leaker, that a lot of these tweaks and changes and this focus on the software and experiences might actually be working because in a tweet, Evan claimed that one insider that they've been talking to and who has seen the device demoed on more than one occasion has gone from being underwhelmed by the device to blown away. So, supposedly, this is going to be kind of an amazing thing. Maybe it is actually going to have kind of an iPhone moment at this keynote i'm getting a little bit more excited about it still not probably very excited about the potential price tag it's gonna gonna hurt my wallet quite a bit if i want one of these things but it's looking like it might be cool um we're starting to hear some more positive spin on this and we haven't really been hearing that uh previous to this so i'd be curious to know are you getting more excited about the concept of an ar vr headset um from apple you know we are hearing a few more things. Uh Regarding the technology, it does sound more and more like it is going to have an external battery that's going to keep the headset weight down, but might create a little bit of an awkward experience, although latest rumors are saying it's going to have kind of magsafe connector like support for the battery, so maybe that makes it a little bit easier to connect and disconnect. but the idea is you'd have you know this thing kind of clipped to your belt so that would be the battery and that would keep the weight off still hearing that the battery life may only be two to three hours per battery on a charge. That got me thinking, like, if it is on your belt, what about a Batman utility belt-like accessory for all-day battery life? You just kind of have a little belt with different batteries on it, and you just, as one runs out, you clip that mag safe from one to the other. Yeah, I mean, it sounds a little bit awkward, but might actually really work. Uh, it could be very interesting to something I thought about when I read this rumor. The headset probably, even though we will see it at Worldwide Developer Conference, is likely not going to be available until several months after. I would imagine, you know, late in the fall, maybe even spring of 2023. This one, they might draw out a little bit longer, in my opinion. Uh, It's not what we're hearing in the rumors, but uh, it's supposed to come out, I think, this year. My thought is, like, if they wait a little bit longer that's going to really give developers a lot more time to play around with this. I'm sure there's going to be some sort of dev kit uh for developing apps and experiences and stuff like that. So, you know, the assumption would be that Apple's going to have enough out of the box that they've developed internally and with partners that they've, you know, partnered with prior to the event uh to sort of launch the product in the fall, but it wouldn't hurt to wait a little bit longer and really have a reason for people to buy this, you know, a healthy Third party app ecosystem could, I think, help and not necessarily hurt. So it'll be interesting to see how they roll this out. But I'm going to guess they're going to target some sort of late fall release for the actual product. And who knows if Apple will even give us a release date. You know, we'll probably get one of those vague ones like fall of 2023 or spring 2024, or something to that effect. They often do that. So we'll have to wait and see. Worldwide Developer Conference, we are expecting that announcement. A few other things that are expected as well. We're still expecting to get an update to the MacBook Air lineup, 13-inch and 15-inch MacBook Airs, that new form factor, new size. One thing that seemed to change a little bit this week in the rumor, Will, was the thought that there could possibly be an announcement of an M3 chip in that MacBook Air. Looking more and more likely from a lot of the sources that we commonly cite that the 15-inch MacBook Air is going to go with an M2 processor. Ming-Chi Kuo says they're actually going to offer two different options of that processor. Likely just, he doesn't go into specifics, but the assumption is it's going to be the number of cores in the GPU and CPU. So likely if you look at the... What they do with the existing 13-inch model in the M2 chips, it's probably going to be the same chip options, just in a larger size, larger form factor. Ming-Chi Kuo says M3 chip production is still slated to kind of happen in the second half of 2023, but that means it's likely not going to be a MacBook Air chip. They're going to launch that in some other product. I imagine Apple could be preserving that for the mac pro whenever that might happen we're not expecting that at worldwide developer conference there's also rumors of a mac studio update but that's probably sometime later next year so i'm guessing apple may launch m3 on the mac pro kind of make a big splash with that and then start to roll that slowly out to other computers again just speculation on my part will kind of make sense Um, typically they've been you know starting in the lower end of the lineup with the new m series like the macbook air and the mac mini and those sorts of things but we have to wait and see we're also still expecting some sort of update to an imac at some point here in the future so who knows where that m3 is going to launch but definitely right now it is looking like it's not going to be with the m2 macbook air a few other things we're expecting at worldwide developer conference a big focus on software that's what it's all about it's all about developers so you know, a look at iOS 17, a look at iPad OS 17, macOS 14, and then there is expected to be a pretty big update to Watch OS uh, in terms of, I think, the user interface and experience. One of the features we heard about this week uh, with that big Watch OS update is potentially a new home screen layout, a new way to launch and manage apps, including support for folders. At least according to one leak. It's interesting to me here because personally on my Apple Watch, I don't use apps too often, but I I do agree that the sort of uh, nebulous cloud, you know, launcher for apps on Apple Watch never turned out to be really an experience that I truly enjoy. Luckily, I don't launch apps that frequently. Um, I know we have a list view currently, uh, so it'll be interesting to see what Apple does to kind of tweak that interface, and if it makes using apps on the Apple Watch a little bit, uh, a little bit better experience. And I'd be curious to know, are are a lot of you out there using a lot of uh, third-party apps or apps with your Apple Watch? I tend to use the widgets and the complications more than anything else. And if it's not in a complication, it's really not an app that I have on my Apple Watch. But that could just be me um, and I'd be curious to know for a lot of you, if you use a lot of, a lot of apps on your Apple watch. So send me some feedback, shoot me an email, maccast at gmail.com. And then one other really big thing coming potentially in iOS 17. And I, I kind of feel like Apple's not really going to tout this or announce this at worldwide developer conference, but we are hearing that, uh, at least in, the EU, they're probably going to launch the ability to sideload apps or load apps outside of the app store. This is according to Mark Gurman. Apple needs to comply with the European union's digital markets act, DMA act, which would require them to have sideloading and support for other like third-party app stores and those sorts of things by March of 2024. So they're likely going to get ahead of that with iOS 17, um the assumption on my part although I haven't heard a lot of details is that it will work a lot like Gatekeeper does currently on the Mac so you'd have options to say hey I only want to install apps from the App Store I'm okay with that or I only want to sign apps from or I only want to be able to install apps from the App Store or sideload apps that are certified by Apple or have a developer certificate or signature on them basically have gone through Apple's review process and um, then you have the option for nope, I want to have a free for all. I don't care. I want to be able to stall anything from anywhere. And, uh, you know, you'd be able to tweak those settings. But it sounds like uh, the popular opinion is that Apple's not going to roll this out widely, that they're going to keep it targeted to countries where they have to just do it to comply. They're not really interested in sort of opening up apps on ios for all the security reasons they've talked about in the past but we could see that coming in ios 17 again i don't expect them to talk about it very much outside of maybe some of the sessions for developers there could be mentions there but don't expect it in the keynote to be like this big announcement that they've opened up ios 17 apps to uh to sideloading. But those are all the things right now we're expecting at uh, Worldwide Developer Conference. Again, coming up here in June, we have about another month or so to go. So, you know, we'll get more rumors and we'll keep talking about this stuff, but that's where things stand right now. As far as what's next, we got a couple things this week to talk about in terms of what might be coming after Worldwide Developer Conference and kind of into the future. Already mentioned the Mac Pro and potential Mac Studio updates, though those are likely uh, a little ways off. We'd expect those. Well, I'm hoping the Mac Pro hits here before the end of the year. I would expect Apple to do that. They've taken their sweet time with this thing. I know there's a lot of folks waiting for a new Mac Pro. Apple is way past due, their deadline of 2022 to get the entire Mac lineup transitioned over to Apple Silicon. So people are starting to talk about that. I think, you know, we want to see a Mac Pro hit hit here in uh, this year hopefully and with the production of the m3s uh potentially starting in uh, the second half of the year i would expect to see a mac pro hopefully with m3 processors m3 pro m3 max um ultra you know we'll have to wait and see how apple does the marketing and branding on those but that to drop this year and then i would expect that followed by a mac studio update sometime in 2024 again this is just speculation on my part but that's kind of how i'm feeling about it at this point also in 2024 uh the site the elect is saying that uh, we might get some updated ipad pros with new oled displays using a thinner hybrid oled technology from lg Uh, This combines a couple of OLED technologies, uh, rigid glass substrates with a flexible thin film encapsulation that allows them to make the panels thinner, but still maintain the strength and rigidity. So even thinner iPads, I don't know how much thinner Apple can get the iPads, you know, you're starting to run out of room just even for, even for ports, but we would expect new iPad Pro updates uh, sometime in 2024. And that's about all we heard this past week on kind of what might be coming next. Not a lot of big things in the rumors. I guess another thing, and we'll move on to that now, is changes to rumors around iPhone. Obviously, before we get uh, some of the other Macs and things in the fall, we are expecting an iPhone announcement, iPhone uh, 15 And uh, one of the big rumors that has been floating around for a while, we've talked about it here on the show, is Apple moving to solid-state buttons with the iPhone 15. We've seen these designs and cutouts and uh, even CAD renderings of an iPhone with a single button, volume button, instead of the two that we have now. Expectation was Apple was going to go to solid-state for that, that they were going to also have a solid-state sort of Button for mute and sleep wake and all that sort of thing. That seems to have changed now, at least according to latest information from analyst Ming Chi Kuo. Apparently, he's saying there are kind of unresolved technical issues. Uh, and Apple has had to kind of change course last minute. They're having mass production issues for these new components, uh, expected to have new Taptic engines and all that sort of stuff looks like apple's going to have to hold off on that he says they're reverting back to a traditional button design it's not clear what's meant by traditional if that just means physical and it's still going to have some of the design changes or if it actually is apple sort of rolling back to a design that's more like the existing iphone at least in terms of the button configuration so we'll have to wait and see um but that does kind of contradict Another rumor that came out this week, although from a much less reliable source, that uh, Apple's mute button, um, the uh, the toggle button for disabling audio, would be replaced by a multi button, a multi function rather, capacitive action button, kind of like the action button on um, the Apple Watch Ultra, and so this would. Uh, basically function as your power on off, allow you to do hard restarts through, you know, a series of long presses and, and sort of other things. It would also like the action button on the Apple watch have the ability to be app specific in terms of its functions. So it could act like a physical shutter button in the camera app versus, you know, the volume buttons, which function like that now currently. Um, so, they're saying, you know, that would be, I think, a lot of interesting changes, but sounding like we're not going to get that this year. So we may have to wait till the iPhone 16 for that. Um, other rumors around iPhone this week, uh, Weibo post, Weibo, I never can remember how you say that the Chinese site, Weibo, I think it is, or Weibo, claims that the iPhone 15 and the iPhone 15 Plus models this year are going to feature a frosted back glass like the current iPhone Pro models. So we're expecting those, I think, in sort of printer colors cyan and magenta and we already know we got this year a yellow iPhone so i would i would hope if apple's doing cyan and magenta in the iPhone 15 and iPhone 15 plus this year that they'd keep the yellow in the lineup and maybe also add a black so we have a cmyk which i think would be really really cool color palette um but i'm a little bit of a printer nerd so you know goes back to that but yeah frosted back glass I like that look on the iPhone and bringing that uh, down to the iPhone 15, iPhone 15 Plus models. I think it'll make them look really, really nice, especially kind of with the new design. They're still expected to have um, the aluminum band versus uh, we're hearing titanium on the Pro models. And um, they're probably still going to have the same sort of bezels as the current iPhone Uh, 14 models whereas with the iphone pro models we're expecting that much thinner bezel on those devices so changes coming to the design of the iphone uh especially uh, especially the back glass on the on the iphone 15 iphone 15 plus models and then optical zoom we've heard this before it's expected that apple is going to add that telescoping lens technology to the iphone 15 pro max uh, Ming Chi Kuo commented on that again, giving a little more details where, he, where he's saying we could expect up to a 6x or 6 times optical zoom with the iPhone 15 Pro Max. That feature is reportedly going to be exclusive to the Pro Max model. And Ming Chi Kuo is saying that will remain exclusive even into next year's iPhone, the iPhone 16. So, Pro Max is really going to be the photographer's iPhone, I guess, and Apple's really going to be focused on that. It's a little bit disappointing because I like it when they bring the photo technologies back down to the other models like the iPhone 15 Pro. I prefer that size and form factor, as some of you know. So disappointing to hear that that telescoping lens technology won't be coming because they have it in a lot of other other phones and devices out on the market apple's kind of getting this feature late and keeping it exclusive to the top end of the iphone uh you know i can understand that but yeah a little bit disappointing for me but there's some of the latest rumors and changes surrounding iphone a few other last things to discuss i uh, got a homepod update that's a little bit interesting This week, Apple finally enabled the sound detection feature that was previously announced for HomePod and HomePod Mini. You can access this this feature now from the home settings under a safety and security option in the Home app uh, under your HomePod. Uh, You can choose which HomePods will listen for sounds. and The way this works is it listens for the sound of a smoke alarm or a CO2 alarm and then can notify you of that event via your devices and uh, through your HomePods. And so it can send notifications. You can choose who it sends notifications to um, and which devices are listening for that. And then on the Apple TV Plus side, if you are in France, here's an interesting thing. And you already subscribe to Canal Plus, which I think is one of their larger, or if not largest, uh, cable or television services you now have access to about 50 Apple TV Plus shows and titles, and they are currently available on your existing service for free. That was added this week, so Apple has some sort of partnership where you're not going to need an Apple TV Plus subscription to get some of that content. It's not clear if all of their shows and content are going to be available, but uh, at least a good portion of them are now available to... Canal Plus subscribers in France without any additional cost, which is uh, kind of cool. It'll be interesting to see if Apple starts to roll that out to uh, to other places, other countries, other services. But for now, uh, Canal Plus in France. And then finally this week, Apple continues to expand their relationship with Goldman Sachs around the Apple card. Uh, this time around, they have opened up the rumored Apple savings account uh, through Goldman Sachs, at least in the U.S. So now you can take your Apple daily cash and your cash rewards and sign up for a high-yield savings plan through Goldman Sachs. Right now, it's earning a variable interest rate, although as of my writing the show notes, the rate, the interest rate was just over 4%, 4.15%, which is really, really good. Um And as I mentioned, the accounts are available in the U.S. Uh They have no fees, no minimum deposits, no minimum balance. And you can also transfer in money from other linked bank accounts. So if you have a bank account linked, you can actually move money in. Uh, You can transfer up to $250,000. That's the maximum balance. And I think there's limits on $10,000 a day and $20,000 a week that you can transfer in. So Apple continuing to expand its financial services uh, with the help of Goldman Sachs. And if you want to enable this feature and you are in the U.S., uh, you just go into your Apple Card on your iOS device tap on the little uh dot 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 icon and then select daily cash and from there you should see the option to uh, uh to tap on savings to sign up for a savings account you are going to need to be i think 18 and you need to have a social security number that you have to provide to link everything up because they have to report your uh, your interest earnings to the IRS obviously for tax reasons so New Apple savings account, but with that, that is going to do it for the news for this week. Before we uh, move on, I do want to take a quick moment and thank you show sponsor, and that is Shady Rays. You know, what is worse than buying a pair of expensive sunglasses and losing them right after you get them? Breaking them. You know, as a kid of the 80s, I know about expensive sunglasses. They were all the rage. I had to have, you know, a pair of Oakleys, and I saved forever to get this pair. And it was awesome, of course, until I lost them. (laughs) From that point forward, it pretty much made me not a sunglasses person. But now, with Shady Rays, I'm excited to get back to having sunglasses, and especially since they support prescription lenses as well. Uh, I wear glasses, as many of you might know, so that's important to me. But Shady Rays makes high-quality sunglasses that are just as good or even better than the expensive ones, and Shady Rays are just a fraction of the price. Shady Rays are durable, built to tackle all of life's outdoor adventures, and their styles are timeless i went with the classic timber and just browsing the options they have styles to meet i imagine anyone's tastes plus all shady rays have polarized lenses for crystal clear vision and strong sun protection and that's the real test of a good pair of sunglasses Plus, I won't have to worry about breaking or losing my Shady Rays because every pair of Shady Rays is backed by their industry-leading lost and broken replacements program. Even if you break or lose your pair the second you take them out of the box, not a problem. They'll send you a replacement pair. You just pay a nominal replacement fee. Also, Shady Rays isn't happy unless you're happy, and that's why they give you 30 days to try them. And if you don't like them, you can exchange them or return them for free. I also really appreciate the fact that with every order, the Shady Rays Impact Program works with nonprofits worldwide to make an impact on the lives of children and young adults. They do things like build playsets for pediatric cancer patients and create adventures for young adults with cancer and MS. So you and Shady Rays are making an impact together. So what's better than getting one pair of Shady Rays and not worrying about breaking or losing them? Getting... To go to slash Maccast and use the code Maccast. And for a limited time, when you buy one pair of shady rays, you're going to get a second pair free. That's S H A D Y R A Y S dot com slash Maccast. Code Maccast to get a second pair of shady rays free. Shadyrays.com Maccast, code Maccast. And a big thank you to Shadyrays for their support of the show. Recently, we've been having this back-and-forth discussion about uh, multiple display support on M-Series Macs, specifically M1 and M2 Max, but we haven't really gotten into some discussion of the Pro models. With the M1 and M2 Max, there's this limitation from Apple that you can only connect one external display, so you can use the internal display plus one external display, The way around that, as we've discussed, is to use DisplayLink technology and a DisplayLink-supported adapter or hub to allow you to do multiple displays that does leverage software and using the CPU and GPU. We talked about the pluses and minuses and how to do that on um, previous episodes. We also mentioned the fact that if you want native support for multiple displays, uh, then you're likely going to want to go with a Pro or Max M-series processor. So you want to bump up to a MacBook Pro, and then you can get the M1 Pro, M2 Pro, or M1 Max, M2 Max, and that will natively support uh, multiple monitors. Um, but even there, there tends to be some confusion about uh, how display support works. And so I got an email this past week from George who wrote in and uh, said he found that Apple's information on display support around the MacBook Pro models to be very confusing. And I was wondering about that a little bit because I thought how could this be, you know, confusing? You just kind of connect your monitors to your USB-C connectors, uh, use display port technology or I'm um, sorry, you know, mini display port technology and you're you're going to be fine like it's going to be okay there's a lot of good support in the MacBook Pros for using multiple monitors well george was definitely right it is a little bit confusing when you start to dive in to the tech specs now george specifically noted that he connects two displays to his uh, M series MacBook Pro and Apple Studio Display Connected on Thunderbolt and then an HDMI display. It happens to be a Dell uh, 1900 by 1200 display, uh, which I think is a wide angle HD display. And uh, mentioned that uh, when he does that, Apple recommends running with the lid closed on his MacBook Pro because if he opens the lid, then one of this one of the displays goes out. So that was first area of confusion for me because looking at the tech specs from Apple I didn't see anything to indicate that that was the only configuration that that was supported and as a matter of fact you should be able to support even more displays. So what I did find was an article over on Apple's support site. I will link to that in the show notes at maccast.com, but I'm not sure if it's going to be helpful or just a little bit more confusing. So they list out kind of how many displays can be connected to which MacBook Pro models, and they kind of start with the uh, M2 Pro series chips. So if you have an M2 Pro that's a 14-inch or a 16-inch model, Apple says that it will support up to two external displays simultaneously based on a resolution of up to 8K and a refresh rate of up to 240 hertz so seems pretty straightforward if you're connecting one external display it supports one external display in these configurations one display up to 6k at 60 hertz over thunderbolt and one display up to 8k at 60 hertz or 4k at 240 hertz over hdmi What's not clear again here is, is it supporting the internal display plus these two displays? I think the answer is yes, but it's really not clear. If you want to do two external displays, it supports two displays in any one of these configurations. Two displays up to 6K, 60 hertz over Thunderbolt. One display up to 6K at 60 hertz over Thunderbolt. And one display up to 4K at 144 hertz over Thunderbolt. HDMI. So I'm assuming this is the configuration that um, George is running in, where he's got one on Thunderbolt and one uh, 4K at, at, at HTM, you know, running over HDMI. Again, not clear if it supports external displays. At least from this article, and I'm saying that because there's there's a caveat here. So, if you have an M2 Max chip in the in your Mac, then you get support for one external display, and I'm not going to go into all the details. It's very similar or two external displays or up to three external displays where you have two running over Thunderbolt and one running over HDMI or one display over Thunderbolt and two displays over HDMI. So, again, the configurations are really, really weird. You can actually do four displays with an M2 Max, apparently, and those all need to be connected where you have three over Thunderbolt and one over HDMI. And I don't know if all of these have to be plugged directly into your Mac. We'll talk about that here in a second as well, and, and that's another thing that's kind of not hundred percent clear. So they have all that for the M2 models, and that's kind of the the support article. But then within that, if you have a different MacBook Pro model, they have a link to another article that then just lays out all the different systems, and then you can link to the actual tech specs within that. And if you look inside the tech specs then it goes into a little bit more detail in terms of external displays there's an ex- a section called display support so now you go in here and listen to this for the M2 Pro it says an M2 Pro simultaneously supports full native resolution on the built-in display at 1 billion colors and up to two external displays at 6K resolution at 60Hz over Thunderbolt, or one external display with a 6K resolution at 60Hz over Thunderbolt, and one external display up to 4K resolution at 144Hz over HDMI. You have that, or the internal display plus one external display supported at 8K resolutions at 60Hz, or one external display at 4K resolution at 240Hz over hdmi so if you want to do 8k it sounds like you have to go over hdmi and you can only use the internal display then they have details on m2 max and it goes on and on and on Um, and so it does sound like from here at least with the m2 models you can support an internal display and then like i said they do have uh tech specs and links for say the 2021 m1 models And there, it's a very similar kind of story when you go down to display support. It says it simultaneously supports the internal display and two external displays or up to three external displays um, over different ports and, you know, on and on and on and on. So I definitely agree this could be a lot clearer a lot easier to understand, but hopefully looking through these articles can help out a little bit. Now, one thing to note is that there is different ways to connect your displays either directly to the Mac, which I find to be the most reliable, um, but you could also daisy chain or go through hubs depending upon what kind of Thunderbolt you have. So using a hub or daisy chaining displays, Um, doesn't allow you and apple points this out in their article doesn't allow you to increase the number of displays that you can connect or support and they also note that you want to connect the display if you're chaining i I assume with the highest resolution first Um, so just be aware of that if you have thunderbolt 3 um, each display will either need to be on its own port or if you're chaining the devices. the display has to be the last device in the chain, and I don't think you can have uh, displays changed. So you can't have, you know, two two displays chained together. I think to do that, you have to do Thunderbolt four, which supports hubbing. That's one of the few differences between Thunderbolt four and Thunderbolt three is Apple added on hubbing support. A lot of uh, the other features and functionalities in terms of performance, and we've talked about this on the show, remain the same. So. Another little area of confusing, Um, just last thing I want to talk about is I still feel that I've not had good experiences personally with HDMI. I know a lot of people really like it. For me, it's not an ideal way to connect my external displays. But again, that's likely just my preference. I still prefer using the Thunderbolt ports. Uh, So basically DisplayPort, Mini DisplayPort, whatever you want to want to call that and i just will comment on my personal experiences with an m1 uh, 14 inch uh, macbook pro which i use for work i do use that with two external just hd displays i don't even have 4k displays and i can at least vouch for that because that's the configuration i use i can use my internal display with two external displays i have them both directly connected to the macbook pro using a um Thunderbolt or USB-C, basically, adapter to DVI. And I have mine both connected uh, through DVI. And that works for me. Um, I'm sure there's lots of configurations. If there's people out there who have kind of deciphered this or figured this out, uh, let us know. But again, I'll have a link to the support article for external displays with M-Series Max. Uh, MacBook Pros, and uh, in the show notes at maccast.com. And hopefully that can help you out. Like, again, it's going to take way too long to go into every option and every configuration. It's obviously going to vary depending upon your setup. So I think the moral of this story probably really is do your homework and do your research. Know how you want to have your monitors connected and uh, figure out all the cables and cabling and, and configuration that you're going to need to do ahead of time uh, before you dive into this. And I think that'll make things a lot easier for for you moving forward. So, George, I don't know if I cleared up any confusion. But hopefully you should be able to, I really feel like you, with your machine, you should be able to c- configure uh, two external displays plus the one internal unless uh, you have the 13-inch MacBook Pro uh, M2 but I I don't think you indicated that. So cuz that just has the M2 processor not the M2 Pro. But with an M2 Pro or M2 Max you should be able to run three displays very very easily and uh hopefully you can figure that out with the help of the help of this support article. So now I have a question from Gary and it was good to hear from Gary because I don't think we've heard from him in a while. And he always has some great thoughts and questions about uh, what Apple is up to this time around. He was kind of doing some speculation or kind of had a question about what happened to a piece of Apple technology that was supposed to help us with our health and fitness. And here's what Gary had to
1: say, Hey Adam, Gary, I, I've had some notes in my Apple notes for a little while on topics that I wanted to mention. First one was Apple watch kit. No, that's not right. Um, the Apple, yeah, watch kit, I believe it is that goes to the fitness devices. I know that Apple announced however many years ago that they're partnering with certain brands of machinery or allowing, them to access watch kit so you could do more um, or exchange data with your watch on the screen. At my gym, there's a couple of machines that have it, maybe more than that. There's a couple of types of machines, but um, I think there's a few of those machines in total. So not a lot of them. Not sure you know, if there's a resistance like car manufacturers to having Apple exchange data with the machines. I was thinking about like that platform and being able to take it a little bit further like allowing the iPhone to actually project to the screen of the device so you could watch your Apple Fitness or if you wanted to you could watch a movie but at the same time seeing the information from your Apple Watch or even your iPhone on the screen like um, CarPlay that would be interesting. I thought that would be fun for, um, Apple to get into, um, further. Thanks. Hey, Gary. Yep.
0: Uh, I think that thing is actually called gym kit. Uh, it was announced way, way back in 2017. I have to admit, I'm probably not the most fit person on the planet. I'm a little bit of a nerd, like, uh, many folks out there. And, uh, I've, joined a gym occasionally, but I tend to not go. So I'm not currently a gym member. Uh, I remember when I did have a gym membership, I don't remember seeing, like you said, much equipment uh, that supported the Apple integration with GymKit and the health app. And I, I, I do tend to agree with you. I think the issue is that they don't want to participate with Apple. They kind of don't want to get locked in. Um, I think there's also certification. I think you need to be MFI certified. Uh, The equipment needs to have NFC on it, uh, which I'm assuming maybe a lot of machines don't have. There's possibly other factors out there. But yeah, Gymkid, I don't think ever got really wide adoption, at least not that I'm aware of. If I'm wrong, let me know. Uh, Send me some feedback and comments. But I kind of feel like it was a good idea that just never really took hold or never really came to fruition. And it's probably partly Apple's, uh, you know, on Apple's plate in terms of responsibility, because I'm guessing they didn't push it really hard. And maybe a reason for that, or maybe they, because they didn't get adoption, a big reason that they move forward with Apple Fitness is because of all of this. They just decided, hey, we can do our own thing and folks can take their iPhone or iPad and Apple Watch to the gym and do workouts with our trainers and track all that data through our health app and through the connection to the Apple Watch. And not only if they do that, they can use the equipment at the gym, but they don't have to share or connect any data with the maker of that equipment, with the gym. So it's got more security security and privacy advantages to it. So I feel like you know, whatever Apple was trying to do with GymKit was probably superseded or has been superseded by Apple Fitness and Apple Fitness Plus and all that sort of stuff. But I do like your idea of this possible, like, CarPlay-like experience with gym equipment where Apple could simply have a connection that might just take over the built-in experience and provide a more apple-centric apple-friendly experience um and that would be really really cool but again it's going to rely on this kind of buy-in from the gym equipment makers and i don't really think they could do that i also am not clear again i don't go to the gym a lot so Do a lot of gyms have more sophisticated, like, uh, LCDs and stuff like that? I just remember everything being pretty simple in terms of the interface on most of these machines. I don't think they spend a lot for, like, big full-color LCDs and things like that, although maybe that's changing, especially on higher-end equipment. But I'd be curious to get thoughts from the community on this. You know, did you have big hopes for GymKit? And I maybe even expand this into a broader discussion about... Uh, health and fitness apps and and those sorts of things. How are folks using your? How are you using your Apple technologies and integrating things? And do you like to use Apple's native built-in stuff? Do you like to go with third-party apps? Me personally, uh, I I tend to gravitate towards things that are actually integrated with the health app. I like having everything centralized. Um, I am doing sleep monitoring. I think we talked about this a little bit with my Apple Watch, just with the built-in functionality. So I wear it at night. I take it off in the morning to simply recharge as I get ready for the day. And that seems to have worked out fairly well for me. So I'm able to monitor sleep without any third-party extra stuff. I like just using the built-in stuff that I have. So for me, it's important for things like Gym Kit or, you know, default integrations. I like HomeKit support. I tend to stay native these days with a lot of my Apple technologies and don't like to have to bring in a lot of third-party stuff or outside stuff to get that stuff to work. So I'm with you Gary. You know, I think better integration of this stuff would be really really great, but again, I think Apple's tendency is towards this thing of we're just going to do our own thing. We're going to take control and have it be within our ecosystem. And a lot of people see that as kind of a lock-in, but I just see that as convenient because a lot of as we've noted, third parties don't want to support Apple. I mean, we look at what GM's doing with, you know, CarPlay, they're going to not have CarPlay support. I don't know if I'd buy another vehicle that doesn't have CarPlay support in it. So, like, that ends up being a big buying decision for me. But maybe, maybe I'm an outlier. Maybe I'm thinking about this wrong. If you have feedback on this, shoot me an email, send me an audio comment, maccast at gmail.com. And then uh, finally, today, I have an email from Dan with a question about. AirPods and specifically uh, spatial audio. So he's planning to use his AirPods Pro with his Mac Mini. And this is using AirPods with a Mac. I mean, it could be just as relevant, I guess, for uh, doing it with an iOS device. But he wanted to use his AirPods Pro with a Mac Mini something he says he's not done in a while but he was planning on taking an online class and he was worried about uh spatial audio interfering with that so the head tracking and you know audio moving around he said it's probably not really appropriate for uh this course that I'm taking so can I actually disable or how do I disable spatial audio on the mac and uh, for those of you who don't know the spatial audio feature is a feature of airpods pro and i think some of apple's beats headphones that uh, basically simulates a 360 degree sound field it gives you that kind of surround sound experience and a feature apple also has in there is it uses the sensors and things in the airpods to do head tracking so just like in real life, if you turn your head and you move an ear away from a sound source, right, the, the sound in that ear is going to get softer and the sound in the ear, you know, where the sound source is coming from is going to be stronger. So you get that spatial experience, right? You feel like you're, you're in a space surrounded by that sound. And so that's what the spatial audio feature does. Uh, it kind of creates this more real experience. Uh, the effect, though does require an audio, video, or music source that actually supports it and also an app that supports it. So, for example, Dolby Atmos content on Apple TV Plus or in in encoded movies, you also have spatial audio support for some music that's been encoded to actually support it. Um, And the music app obviously supports it. Uh, Third-party apps can support spatial audio. So in this case, Dan, chances are the streamed audio for your online training or whatever course you're taking doesn't support spatial audio. I would be surprised if it does, so you might not have to worry about it. But still, you know, to answer your question, you can control spatial audio and what it's doing from your Mac. The controls and settings are very similar um from an ios device Uh, with ios devices you're probably going to go in through the control center and do it that way on a mac um i guess the first thing to note is spatial audio i think is only supported currently on apple silicon Macs, and you need to be running mac os 12.3 or later It's also going to be, as I mentioned, app dependent. So you need to be using an app that's actually supporting it. Um, But once you do that, all you have to do is make sure that your AirPods are connected to your Mac. So, Under Bluetooth or just the audio, they should auto connect if they're doing their magic thing and working as they should. But make sure your AirPods are connected to your Mac. And then once they are connected to the Mac, you can click on the AirPod icon or AirPods icon in in the menu bar. If you don't see that icon, um, you can click on the Apple menu, go into your system settings, go under Control Center, uh, and then in the sidebar, click the pop up menu next to Sound on the right and then choose always show in menu bar and that will that will show the icon in the menu bar. Again, you could also go in through the control center to kind of see these controls. But once you're in there, you should be able to choose the spatial audio option. Again, you need to have the AirPods connected and all that stuff before you see these these settings, so just be aware of that. Um, but choose the spatial audio option, and then you can pick the option that you want. You can turn it off completely. Um, You can also set it in fixed mode. So in your case, if your class was supporting spatial audio, this might be what you want to have where, you know, you still get spatial audio. So you feel like you're in a space, a hall or a lecture hall or something like that. But the head tracking is turned off. So as you turn, it's not going to shift or change that audio. Or you can do the full head tracking experience where you get the full spatial audio. And as you move throughout the space, the sound changes and you get this great immersive experience. So uh, that's pretty much it. That uh, is how you can control spatial audio on the Mac. And uh, I appreciate your question. Uh, But with that, that is going to do it for the show for this week. Uh, Before I leave you, I want to thank a couple of our show supporters Bandwidth for the MacCast is provided by CashFly. You can find them at dot ycom And all advertising on the MacCast is handled by BackBeat Media. You can find them at BackBeatMedia.com. As always, I love hearing from you. If you have a comment, a question, something you'd like to hear covered on the show, you can send your emails and audio comments to MacCast at gmail.com. You're also welcome to call in on the listener hotline. That phone number is 281-622-4269, mac 9 You can leave a voicemail there. And if you want to follow me, or, oh, <laughs> before we get to social media... If you need show notes, links to anything they talked about on this or any other episode of the MacCast, you can find those on the website. That's at MacCast.com. And now, if you want to follow me on social media, you can find me on Twitter, twitter.com slash MacCast. You can check out the MacCast Facebook page over at facebook.com slash the MacCast, or find me on Instagram, just MacCast on Instagram. But that is going to do it for now. Until next time, I will talk to you all again real soon.